Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention, attention. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Palais with me, Al Murray, and <laughs> James Holland. Uh, and uh, we're starting with a French theme because because we're going to... Did, you, talk did about... you have hot chocolate for breakfast and croissant and that kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And chocolate. <laughs> absolutely. And a... And a, and a um, a Kia Royale to steady the nerve, um, which we'll yes. get we'll get to More in a bit. More on that later. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, um, anyway, how are you? You all uh, right? Yeah, yeah, fine. Yes, I'm a mean, bit sort fatigued. Of, well, you know what? I'm this this play, the, the Crown Jewels. It's tremendous. I'm really enjoying myself doing it, but goodness me, it's hard work. I know. Yeah. People go through actors, actors complaining about what hard work it is, but we're, we're on our feet all day, every day. And you're thinking, do I know my next line? Where does it come yeah. in? Oh, shit. And in fact, and obviously we're meant to come out the other side of that where it's just, it's, it just happens. Like, like, like driving a car after a year. Yeah. You just, you indicate because you just do. Yeah, exactly. All that, all that, all, all that, that stuff. stuff. But we'll get, we'll get there. But I'm, I'm, I'm in a little fried because the thing with the, with doing, I, I don't want to do the whole actors, the heart who work hardest, uh, you know, the hardest workers <laughs> in the whole world thing. Because uh, everyone, everyone will immediately, uh, switch off or, uh, you know, go to another podcast. Um, but uh, but um, you're on your feet all day, every day, and you're thinking, is it my line? And obviously we're going to come out the other side of that where we're, where it yeah. just, it, the scenes just happen rather Don't than- Don't even have in, to think. Yeah, rather it's than like involve me going- a spitfire once you've got 350 hours in your <laughs> You just do it. I imagine it's very similar. There's a measure smith, you just, you just know what to do. Don't have to think. Muscle but you, memory. But you've been at you've been at the cricket, right? You've been at well, yeah, I have. I've had a, I've had I've had a, a day of a, a couple of few days of of of, of alter, alternating fortunes because um, <laughs> after going to see the truly excellent spitting image uh, oh, on Wednesday night, you. which was enormous thank fun, you. and for which huge thanks for getting me tickets because that oh, was no brilliant, problem. and my friend Ben loved it. Great. Um, I, I thought that was absolutely hilarious, and I just laughed. All the way through, and I particularly <laughs> laughed at the rendition of "Killer" with Suella Braverman, which I thought was especially <laughs> funny. Uh, but the whole thing was great. But then the following morning, I was I was overnighting in the RF club in a little sort of single bed, which is fine. Mm. And and I woke up at five, obviously, because um, yep. that's that's what we're doing at the moment. And um, so I started reading the paper, and suddenly I moved. <laughs> I've torn a muscle in my back. No, it's unbelievably painful. Um, so so that was really annoying. Yeah. So I had an amazing day at Edgbaston on 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 Friday. Went up mm. with Ned, and we watched that. And obviously, the first four by Crawley and everything. Yeah. The whole day was just fantastic. But I had this really painful shoulder the whole day, so that was really annoying. And then yesterday, I played cricket, and I got given out LBW by the same person for the second time in a row. Oh, no. Second time, and I know everyone who says their LBW is now. 
but I really wasn't <laughs> on both occasions. <laughs> and it's just unbelievably annoying. So I spent the whole day in pain, feeling really cross that I got out and mm. um, cheaply again, thanks to the same guy. And um, and then we got absolutely carted. So we, we, we lost by nine wickets. It was, it was pretty bad. So I'm oh, feeling a bit dear. mixed. So then I woke up this morning uh, at five. My shoulder still hurt. I opened the newspaper and there's a massive interview with my brother and Tom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Describing my parents as upper middle class, which I thought was very, very funny. I don't right. think my dad would have quite recognised that. It's his humble right. beginnings in Birmingham. But anyway. Right. Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing, that, I'm absolutely fine. Oh, good. Oh, great. Well, because I just there's a thing I want to talk about that's in the paper actually, which, which this been this sort of kerfuffle about Douglas Bader. Oh yeah. So Ben McIntyre, you know, he's got this new Colditz book, and he's been and he's been yes, talking, yes, yes, talking about Bader in uh, in Colditz. Bader the bastard. Bader the bastard. You know, racist, snobbish, and brutally mm. unpleasant to anyone he considered to be of a lower socioeconomic order. Yeah. And then, and this has caused a sort of cult, bit of a sort of culture war skirmish, people piling on him. Because I thought everyone knew this. I yeah, thought it's not this, old. Is, this is really, really old news. Everyone knows that he was an arsehole. It's old and cold. This news, isn't it? It's very strange. It's, it's uh, I, but I remember doing this. I remember sticking my neck out about Adolf Galland and um, dear old Rob <laughs> Schaefer yeah. got in a huff about it. And oh. then I mentioned Bob Stanford Tuck and someone, one of his relatives, got in a huff about it. Yeah, these guys were alpha males. They were my way or the highway types. That's yeah. how they, you know, that's one of the one of the things that made them such brilliant wartime lead, leaders was yeah. their unflinching personal courage, their lack of compromise at all, mm. and and their total alpha maleness. Yeah. And, you know, like, like so many great heroes, you, you know, they're always flawed, and that's kind of yeah. part of the things that makes a hero kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, Bader was extremely arrogant. He always thought he was right. Um, he liked being the centre of attention. He had a massive yeah. ego, all those sort of things. But that's okay. You know, he's I a, mean... Yeah, yeah, exactly. The thing is, the thing is though, is is I think, it, it you know, it, it tosses up a couple of things because... You know, we're one of the one of the things people like because he's been really, he's been, you know, Ben's had some flack off some uh, uh, off sort of conservative people, you know, in, in, in oh, like he's talking. Well, no, but like he's talking Britain down. But you, you know, one of the things about the second, this is the thing that really struck me yesterday thinking about it. One of the things about the Second World War is we were all in it together, even the arseholes, right? <laughs> but also. You know what I mean? You know, the <laughs> generations of historians have been talking down Britain, Britain's wartime effort. Uh, and, yeah. you know, we've, I would say on this podcast, have been championing the fact that actually Britain did pretty damn well in the Second yeah, World War. It, yeah, exactly. But that doesn't mean to say there weren't arseholes. Yeah, 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 exactly. We were all <laughs> I mean, in it together. It included it included the arseholes. It included and the saints and it included well, the villains. Exactly. And, you, I mean, you know, in, in a way, well, thank goodness he was on our side because because... He strikes me as Bader strikes me as a sort of fighty bloke. So if he'd been on the other side, he'd have been probably been well up for it. You know, I mean, it's it, it's which which isn't I, which I don't think is to sort of is a denigration of him at all. It, I think it's very very odd though this need to sort of of all the people to try and um, of all the people to try and go. Actually, he was okay. <laughs> you've got that's a big he really wasn't. No, I mean, that's an enormous ball of dung you've got to roll up a hill, isn't it? To, Listen, to... you know perfectly well that if you were sat in a pub with him and he was shooting the breeze, you'd have a fantastic evening. Yeah. 
and, and you'd think, oh, that was really good fun. He was hilarious. But you also know that his all his anecdotes would be would be sprinkled with just outrageous oh. comments that would get him cancelled yeah. in about two seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In in, yeah. in 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 today's world, and would probably yeah. been quite shocking fifty years ago. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you, you know, I also think I've always thought it's interesting that that after the war, Galland, Tam, Stanford, Tuck, and Barder all became such mates. You know, they were kind of they were kind of sort of the school football captain types. You know, they kind yeah, of yeah, you, you know, they. They became friends because they all recognised that they all, fundamentally they were all the same character. Yeah, they you saw, know, all they were, saw each other. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, they were arrogant alpha males, you yeah. know, my way or the highway types. That's exactly yeah. what they were. Yeah. Um, I have absolutely no doubt that Barder was extremely disagreeable to his Batman. Yeah. Because he would have seen that as a sort of well, sense I mean, of entitlement that, 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 you know, the way that people sort of, talk to servants i mean you know he was a batman is a servant so that's how you talk to them i mean you know it, it seems anachronistic now when of course it is but it, but well, yeah this is then yeah exactly i mean it's i mean that's i think that's a really interesting point because because I, I remember reading um uh 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 alex alex tunzelman's history of you know interwar india and she's got this, this big royal tour that um the future edward the eighth does right yes and uh it's the protocol that he has right and it's, you know, the words he needs. So gin and tonic, um, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, press my shirt. And she goes, you know, didn't include please or thank you in it. Of course not. Of course not. Because you didn't say please or thank you. You say it to each other, to people of your own social standing, but you wouldn't use it for your servants. And so the idea that, that, that Barda, you know, 20 years later in a high pressure situation is going to say please or thank you is Batman. Or what he regards as a high, <laughs> also, you know. yeah, yeah, completely. But I also find it astonishing that people people are sort of slightly shocked and appalled that people have racist tendencies in the nineteen forties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. It, the whole point about what one has to understand about liberal society and about democracies is is it takes centuries to get to this point because mm. throughout history. Man has never regarded himself as equal to other man. No, only now do we do so, and, well, and it's taken us. Well, to only point. now are we tr- only now are we trying. I mean, that's the, the, the are we even right. trying? Okay, yeah. That's I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, the nice pessimistic caveat. view, isn't it? You know, yeah. now we're even beginning to try to do it. Yes, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, you I, know, it, so so so. You know, it, it, it just finds, I just find it astonishing that people are shocked by what we would consider bad behaviour today in people in the past. I mean, you yeah. know. It's appalling that Henry VIII would want people to chop people's head off. What a barbarian! <laughs> yes, that's because he was then. Yeah, you know, that's how yeah, they yeah. did things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a different, a different, different time. Well, the point, the point is, country. it's a different time. That's why. It's, that's the other, the other reason it's so interesting. Isn't but it? you can only get to where you are by by progression. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and I would still argue that that the heroics of people like Barda. Uh, and standing up to uh, to, to fascism and yeah. autocracy and Nazism and um, Imperial Japan and all the rest of it have helped us get to the place we are now where we can be liberal and <laughs> be appalled by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Don't you think, to an extent? Absolutely. Well, let's turn up, let, but let's turn our attention to a different... To, to, to some other to heroes. larger-than-life character. Um, yes. Uh, uh, um, uh, the, uh, this was this is and um, we've both we've both read this book. This is extraordinary. Well, this was a recommendation yeah. of my mate Rob Gallimore, who I mentioned yeah. the other day. He of Afghan fame. Yeah. Um, and and 
he said, "Oh, you've got to read that." He said, "Did you know about the about the royal the the Keir Royal?" I went, "No." He said, "Oh, you've got to, this amazing priest, blah 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 blah." Told me the whole story, uh, and I just thought, "God, that sounds absolutely amazing." Yeah. Um, so just, yeah, so then we then read this book. Brilliant book called Priests de la Resistance. Very entertaining book, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's. I mean, this guy's very good at as yes, he's very good at naming books. Reverend Fergus Butler, Galley. The yes. loose cannons with one end or two ends rather than <laughs> rather than three who fought fascism in the twentieth century, and it and it's a it's a sort of it's a sort of gallop through bi- a series of biographies of 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 priests, vicars, canons, monks, whatever who st- who st- uh, who stood up to fascism in the in during the Second World War and uh, or Nazism, and the characters in it. I mean, it's it's it, some of them are some of them are you know like sort of people who are in the machinery of the church doing their thing, but others are straight up resistance and um this guy felix Keir, is absolutely am- amazing isn't he? he he's absolutely amazing uh, uh, but but I, I but it's prompted me to also just kind of look at so what was the catholic church doing yeah in france yeah you know because the dilemma of course for for all frenchmen is what do you do once you're occupied i mean yeah. i mean france is the only country that has a has its has this weird ar- arrangement yeah, of Vichy. So everyone else who surrenders, the country's overrun, and you know the Axis forces come in, and yeah, they're running the show, and they're they're all using local bureaucrats to do the kind of the admin. Mm. But but the whole country is occupied. France is completely different because you have this totally bizarre situation where you have Vichy France, yep. and you have occupied France, yeah, but you still have Vichy France running. The day-to-day admin of France, even in the occupied bits, yeah. But you have this huge third of, you know, half of France, which is which is unoccupied and which is in the hands of Vichy, and you know we've talked well, about this before. Also, but but you've also got you've also got the fact that 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 you know that there are people on the involved in the Vichy apparatus who see this as an opportunity to get France back on track. Post totally post French Revolution to get to the forces of conservatism drag France you know away from the excesses of the of of the Commune and all that and get France back on track with a decent emphasis on family and patriotism and hard and work church and, and, and ch- hard and work and, and, and the church and Catholicism so yeah so it, it so that it's really complicated isn't it? or it's or it's much more complicated because of that. Yes, and, and and you know, and there's a bit of form here because, of course, you've only got to look at Spain and the Spanish Civil yeah. War, where the yeah. Catholic Church comes very hard down on the side of the nationalists, of course. Yeah. Uh, um. And so you've got this 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 notion of Catholicism and the Catholic Church being, you know, absolutely entrenched conservatism, yeah. right wing, anti yeah. vehemently anti communist, all this kind of stuff, and that that provokes all sorts of problems for France. And for French, the French priesthood and the Catholic Church yeah. in France, in in um, w- once France surrenders, and you've got the kind of you know you've got the occupation and you've got the Vichy era, and yeah. you know this is sort of probably, I mean, the, the, the two of the most big, the biggest, most important cardinals in France are, for, for example, there the, the is Alfred Henri Maria Cardinal Baudrillard, yeah, and he's one of the two cardinals in Paris. Yeah. And the other one is Cardinal Suha, Emmanuel Suha. Mm. And they are kind of sort of representative in a way of the two different takes on the yep. on the church in France because yep. Baudrillard is absolutely 
a collaborationer. Well, he says, he says, priest and French, how can I, in a moment so decisive, refuse to approve the common noble enterprise directed by Germany, dedicated to liberate Russia from the bonds that have held it for the last 25 right. years, suffocating its old human and Christian traditions to free France, Europe and the world from the most pernicious and most sanguinary monster that mankind has ever known, to raise these peoples above their narrow interests and establish among them the holy fraternity revived from the time of the Christian Middle Ages. I mean, there you go. so that's that's Baudrillard. That's Baudrillard. You think, yeah, jeepers, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and he you know and what? he and he writes that there is no contradiction between Nazism and Christianity. Uh, I mean, it, it's what the heck? And, and well, uh, well, and I think this is really interesting, is it? Because because given Nazism, host, no, open at times hostility to Christianity. To, yes. to fall for it in that way, I think, is really fascinating. And it, well, there's the three Ks, isn't there, in, in Nazism yeah. in the start? There's, yeah. there's a, what's it, Kuka, um, Kinder, and, and Kirka. Yeah, yeah. The church. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 but that's just a bluff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but I think what's really interesting about that, though, and, and I think this is a thing, you know, a moment ago we were talking about then and now, uh, about... Mm. The thing that's really bothering an awful lot of people is Bolshevism. They're terrified, absolutely. A hundred percent. Terrified of it. And it's it's a thing that's mobilised people since the Russian Revolution, since yep. the Soviet Union establishes itself. So, you know, and you, there's enough horror stories for the people that believe, you know, obviously there's a, there's a chunk of left-wing opinion in, in in Britain, the US and in France that doesn't believe the horror stories come out of the Soviet Union. But there's still there's still plenty of people who, who, who not only believe them, they think, they think it's going to happen here, you know. And and you know he's he's in, in he's reflecting that concern, and I think we we often I think that often gets forgotten in a reading yep. of the a reading of people's motivations in the Second World War. That's why the Germans, after all, are able to present Barbarossa to their European partners as a as a crusade against Bolshevism. Bolshevism. Yep. That's why they're able to do that because people yep. are that frightened of it. And and I you know I'm not excusing him, but I think you can you can absolutely place him squarely in that context and and understand it you know yeah well i i i i think you're absolutely right and and i think what one has to has to understand is that for many people the westward spread of communism is every bit as horrendous horrific a proposition as the yep. westward spread of nazism yeah 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 absolutely it's painted in exactly the same light yeah 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 you know yeah. and it's kind well, of it's dog eat dog, you know. You've got to do yeah. this, or that's what you're going to end end up with. Well, yes, and, you uh, know. To, but to be fair, they've got a point, frankly. Yeah. Well, they, well, yeah. I mean, people see. I mean, I think you know, and it's a thing you definitely get in Britain. Britain is people see fascism, Nazism, not as an original thing, but as a reaction to that. They're that yeah. they're, they're they're not they're not the threat itself. They're a response to the threat. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. And. So you can right. see why a cardinal yeah, yeah, and the yeah. Catholic Church would end up thinking this. But so there's Baudrillard, who's the other chap? So, well, so, and, and Baudrillard also sanctions, you know, French volunteers joining the Waffen SS. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, 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 the, yeah, yeah, the Legion of French Volunteers against Bolshevism. All that, yeah, exactly. All that. Yeah. So the other one is Archbishop Emmanuel Suhart, and you know he does the absolute opposite, and he's actually Baudrillard's superior. And Baudrillard actually dies in 1942, so he, yeah. you know he, he never gets, and that's before the big roundups in July 1942 of the Jews. But but but. Suhard protests openly against the anti-Semitism of the Vichy regime. Yeah. Amazing. So you've suddenly got you you've got two of the most senior churchmen in France taking completely opposite views. Yeah. And of course, you know, every parish in in France has a has a has a Catholic priest, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, and you know, it's fair to say the vast majority of Catholic priests 
don't operate in <laughs> to help yeah. um, help Jews or aren't yeah. um, supporting the resistance, but a, f- a fair number do. Yeah, and Suhart actively works to help Jews. Yeah, and and, and to 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 um, protest, you know, openly ab- about the anti-Semitism laws and all the rest of it. So, mm. you know, he does his bit. But but there are also and a background to that. There are some amazing characters who well, this absolutely is are in the resistance and but the, but the, but and, this is and it. use their position in the church to actually help them yeah. um, in a way that an ordinary civilian wouldn't be able to do so. Yeah. And, and well, and Felix Keir is which is well, which is how we come to Felix Keir. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take a break and then we'll come back to talk about uh, Felix Keir. Uh, see you in a second. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, US Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics US, brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. So James and I have just um, uh, put the Catholic Church in France during the Second World War into the skip there. <laughs> I mean, Teeny bit of skip. I mean, the thing is, the thing is... Bit of it, skip. The thing is, is the thing with the French Revolution, is, is it, you know, is it Jouen Lai who says in 1948 or whatever, it's still unfinished business, too soon to say what the effects of the French Revolution are? Right, <laughs> and apparently he's joking, he's, he's, or it's in 1968 or something. But anyway, that the, the point is that France is still feeling this, you know, the the the, the convulsions of the of the 18th and 19th century, yeah, yeah, and completely. 20th. You know, you well, it's 1848 Dreyfus, as well, isn't there? And, exactly, and exactly. And the, Dre- and the, and the and Dreyfus fourteen, and yeah, the Dreyfus affair Dreyfus isn't Dreyfus that affair. long ago, you know, um, in, in or generationally in French history isn't that long ago. So, so anyway, so so. 
you, you know, that's that's worth that's always you've always got to bear that in mind. Just just as people want to say, oh, you know, look at look at what Britain was really like. Well, what France is also really like pre-war. Anyway, um, but Felix. Well, yes, and 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 let's face it, a, a large part of of Europeans were were a large number of Europeans, particularly in France, mm. were were rampantly anti-Semitic. Yeah. And as you say, from from Dreyfus and everything, they're kind of yeah. leading the way, really. Yeah, because it's because it's basically baked into European cultures. So, uh, yeah. You know, one of the anyway. That's another podcast. But fe- so Felix Kier <laughs> is Felix this extraordinary. We want to talk about him. Who's a most extraordinary man? Who's yeah. who's um, who ends up basically uh, uh, running D- Dijon for a, for a while. But the, yeah. the the story is absolutely I- incredible. So he's a he's a priest. He's in his sixties. Yeah, he's born in 1876, isn't he? That's right. And, and comes becomes, out of becomes a, a priest in 1901. Yeah, exactly. So comes out of the 25. seminary in 1901 and he's and becomes very well known for being sort of a sort of leisurely Friar Tuck figure. I mean, that's who reading re- reading about him, you think he's yeah. well, he's Friar Tuck, isn't he? He's, the, he's a he's a jolly yeah. cleric. He'll sit he's you fat. down and and have a have a pint with you or whatever or a or a or a, a, a you know. And he's got this great catchphrase, hasn't he? Because people say he 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 says, uh, you know. People say to me, you know, there is no proof of God. I cannot see him. And I say to them, but you cannot see my ass and you know it's here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there, yeah. <laughs> but, but, really but he's, funny. So, so he's a figure, um, uh, uh, it, you know, a, a visible sort of church presence. He's a man who likes his booze. He's a man always who always wears a beret. Always wears a beret, which is very interesting. So the, the, the really important thing about Keir is he is from... He's an Alsatian, isn't he? He's an Alsatian Frenchman. Yep. And so he's grown up in the shadow of, or in the wake of, um, uh, Alsace-Lorraine going going to Germany and yep. then coming back to France. Yep. And so his sense of Frenchness is sort of um, sharpened on the whetstone of that territorial dispute, isn't it? And yep. he, so he has a very keen sense of what it means to be French, what it means to have Frenchness taken away from you by by Germany, and what it means to try and get it back. So that that I think is the is is sort of the key to understanding Felix Kier, as much as his faith, because you know he, he is a man of faith, but he's also he's also a man of you know cassis and uh, uh, well, and this is his appetite. big tipple, isn't it? So he yeah. likes white wine with cassis. Yeah, that's his big thing. And he never yeah. goes anywhere without his bottle of cassis to put into the white wine. And, and when when he turns up, everyone's expected to bring the white wine out. And uh, I'll tell you who he wrote. Uh, and then he adds a cassis and he knocks that back. And he has quite a few of those. Then he'll have a bottle of red with his lunch. Then he'll go off and do something else. I'll tell you who he reminds me. I mean, he reminds me of Churchill, really. Yeah. Uh, in that he likes to find the things in life. He expects other yeah. people to kind of sort of rush around on his behalf. Yeah. He's got lots of ideas. He's brave as an ox. Uh, as yep. a lion and uh, strong as an ox and all those kind of things. And uh, and he's a larger than life character, isn't he? But basically yeah. for the first sort of 40 years of his of his time as a priest, he's basically done, you know, sweet F.A. Apart yeah. from get drunk and, and sort of do his priestly duties, but well, have a jolly nice the, time. Float down the river, have a drinking, drinking. I mean, that's one, yeah. of, one of his favourite pastimes. It's, yeah. But when, so when, uh, you know, on... 17th of June, 1940, when, when Pétain is the, announces, the point, that, announces that he's Premier of France and France is going to be occupied and, and, and all this sort of stuff. It's absolutely amazing. So the mayor of Dijon, who's a fellow called Robert Jardillier, he, he, he does the thing of, of filling, you know, 
taking the vital papers and sticking <laughs> yeah. in the back of the car and Fair, buggering, yeah, f- filling out the petrol uh, that's the petrol right. cans about and off, going off and 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 Keir, Felix Keir, takes his place makes himself mayor of Dijon, well there's this little there's this little group isn't yeah. there of people there's yeah. a there's a um there's an elderly army colonel, professor of English literature, retired merchant navy commander, and the head of Dijon's Chamber of Commerce. And there's Felix Keir, who's yeah. now by this time a canon. Yeah. Uh, and basically, he just kicks them all into touch and sort of acts yep. the big man, doesn't he? Yeah, that's right. And the, when the when the G- Germans come to take over Dijon, he he says, "Well, you're, you're going to have to deal with me." And there's the story that he won't deal with anyone below below the rank of a general. Oh yeah, well, this is fantastic, isn't it? Because a German yeah. turns up and he yeah. said, he, and he walks into into the office in the kind of mairie, and there's Canon Kier behind the desk, just staring at him, and yeah. he won't and he won't speak to him. So the, the the colonel sort of goes Heil Hitler a couple of times. That doesn't seem to wash. <laughs> so then he offers his hand, and and Kier refuses to take it. Yeah. And eventually he says, I'm not going to talk to anyone who's less than a general. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and and you, should have not, you should have knocked before you came in. <laughs> and, and it seems to me that kind of sort of bluster and extreme rudeness seem yeah. to kind of count for quite a lot. And because he is this canon, because he's a priest, yeah. Yeah. the Germans seem purely, you know, curiously kind of wary of, of of rocking the boat where he's concerned it's bizarre really isn't it yes they sort of tiptoe around him a bit yeah. and he's good at he's good at he's good at bluster and obfuscation and 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 all this sort of stuff but eventually they um uh the germans run out of run out of patience with him don't they it is, is well they do but there's, a, there's this sort of interesting thing so he 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 gets them to to to, to make a store in the in the city synagogue so instead of knocking it down or or, or burning it or whatever or yeah. destroying it, he persuades them to use it as a as a storehouse. Yeah, and takes all the kind of precious items himself and puts them under sort of lock and key and hides yeah. them. Yeah, so that they can't take it, and so the Germans can't burn it down because it's become a really essential storehouse for them. I mean, yeah. it just seems bizarre the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, and properly. Properly clever that as well. Like yeah, uh, he's constantly sort of ring running, sort of rings around them, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 I mean, the thing is, reading about this, it, it, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because because obviously, the Germans, the Germans in France, because as we were saying before, you know, bits of France are sympathetic. The Germans in France must just never quite be sure. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? That's Actually, thing. is he is he on their side or is he not? Is he being helpful? Yes. Is he not? Do they yeah. need people that? Because after all, one of the obviously one of the problems of occupation is you need people who the locals respect and will work for and with. Yes, uh, in charge, don't you? Otherwise, yeah. no one will do what you want. Because because yeah. in the end, in the end, I mean, it, it must be very hard for the Germans to fathom actually how sympathetic people are to them. And as, you know, as we've talked about long, long before in the podcast, until it becomes clear that the allies are going to win. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. You know, sort of 90 from 1943 onwards until, until then that, you know, what incentive is there for, for French people to resist? And, and obviously, you know, when, when, um, when, when the Germans tried to, when the Germans tried to uh, bring all men into, you know, uh, uh, into work for them that changes everything 
Yes, yeah, so this is the uh, the the work order of, of yeah. June the twenty first, nineteen forty two. You know, yeah, exactly. Own goal so, by by yeah. Pierre Laval, who is the Vichy yeah. Prime Minister. But by the next year, by forty, by the middle of forty three, you know, when it's obvious that Germany's losing, the, the, the tides turned on that. You know, not only have they alienated all uh, young French men of a working age, but but it's obvious which way the thing's going. Yeah, but I up guess to, up to that. Yes, because point, that's all. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, but up to that point, if you're if you're running, if you're the bloke in charge of. Dijon for the Germans you're thinking you know maybe part of you's thinking well they're German anyway because it's because <laughs> because you've also at this time you've also got people going through the phone book essentially and changing people's name Germanizing people's surnames and all that, yep. sort of, all, that yep. all that nonsense is still is going on certainly into 43 they're still doing that yeah so how you actually deal like a bloke with a fellow like Canon Kier because is he on your side or is he not? And it must actually be quite difficult to deal with. And also, if you, if you know, Nazi management style is robust, rude people who boss each other about and treat their subordinates like crap. If you run into someone who's doing that as well, is he kind of respect your language? It. Yeah, exactly. He's speaking exactly. your language. Well, exactly. I think I think you I think you've actually hit on something because one of the things he does is is so there's lots of prison, you know French prisoners of war at a, at a camp at Longvic, which is just outside yeah. um, Dijon, and he keeps going up with incredibly official notepaper. Going yeah. up to the guards is going, you need to release these people now. Yeah. Uh, and he says it with enormous authority, hands over a piece of paper, which has got all the right kind of, you know, writing on it. And they sort of go, oh, okay then. And he says, you know, I need them for kind of, you know, public works. And then they get sort of spirited away. And, you know, that's the last yeah. anyone ever sees of them. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you're, so, so you can do that by bluster and by speaking the German's language, but you can also do it in 1940 to 42 because there isn't really French resistance at that point. Yeah. There yeah, is, yeah, yeah. but it's it's disparate. It's it's you know Jean Moulin hasn't kind of sort of worked his magic at this point. Yeah. It's very difficult to coordinate resistance, of course, at yeah. this time because and you also, haven't got WhatsApp groups and and, 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 and all the rest of it. But, but and also, you know, French morale is completely is shattered. So Douglas Port makes this point that that that, that those first two years, you know, the, the French prisoners of war are essentially Germany's hostages. Yeah. They're being they're being used as as really powerful leverage on the Vichy government, and understandably, yeah. right? And they're being used as they're being used as as leverage on the French population. Do you want to see your sons again? You know, because there's millions of them in the bag. Of course, and and also the, French, the literally are millions. Li- like literally million, are millions of them in the bag, and of course Germany undergoes that weird thing where it's trying to be like a a, a mono racial culture, and it ends up full of French people. You know that that. <laughs> you know, and, and Polish Polish people and Lithuanians and all that sort of thing. That suddenly it's turned turns into this weird multiculture with vast amounts of of, of French people in it. But but the, but Port makes the point. You know that the blow to French morale in in 1940 is is sort of is completely seismic to the you know and to the idea of what it means to be French and France's martial tradition and all that has been completely knocked over, and and. And and that you know that that that's yes that's a sort of national sense but that's being fent, felt personally by kind of everybody you know yeah. and and that that um you know he's he's moving around in this uh, uh in in this environment uh, Kier, and able yeah. to able to manipulate the Germans in I think is f- absolutely fascinating isn't it it's, well he gets out five about some five thousand yeah. prisoners he manages yeah. to kind of sort of winkle out literally you know effectively legally because he just yeah. says you need to give them to me yeah uh, and and the, and the Germans who are kind of sort of oh, okay uh, all right then yeah and they don't, don't really quibble yeah 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 it's extraordinary isn't it absolutely extraordinary 
and, and then he finally they finally kind of rumble him, and he's put in prison. Yeah. Um. And he's sentenced to death. Then then that's commuted to just sort of months in prison. Yeah. Then that's that's commuted to house arrest. Yeah. And I suppose from a German point of view, in these early years of the war, they're trying to do this kind of sort of, you know, we don't want to kind of, we don't want insurrection on our hands. You know, yep. we just want to kind of, you know, he's troublesome and he's a pain in the backside, but actually, you know, in the interest of sort of keeping the peace, he's such a kind of pivotal figure. He's a well, churchman. But, but that's it. But that We're also shows... It's just so weird. But that, but that also shows that, you know, uh, uh, totalitarianism, it, it, um, is an aspiration uh, in this situation, isn't it? You're, you, it it's not that it's not a reality. They obviously know that if they get rid of a if they get rid of someone as high profile and as respected and loved as this in, in Dijon, Dijon in, in politics in Dijon, they're going to create enormous problems for themselves. Yeah. Or, or the balance probabilities is they'll create real problems for themselves. So they do this. They, they as you say, they accommodate him. They. They literally take him out of prison. They, the, the house. I mean, house arrest for a, for a man like this who's got fingers in every pie imaginable. Yeah, it's pretty stupid, actually. It's uh, uh, from their point of view. Well, I suppose they, you know they don't they don't want to martyr him, do they? Yeah. But, but they don't really care about sort of martyring other resistance and and you know seventeen year old boys. Yeah. And all the rest of it, or Jean Moulin, or whoever it might be. It's it's funny the the, the hold that the Catholic Church seems to have on. The Germans in these yeah. occupied countries, in a way that it, it, you know, when you know that 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 Hitler is vehemently anti anti the church, it's just yeah. it's just it's it, it's bizarre, but but it's what happens. And yeah. you know, he's he's imprisoned again briefly in 1943. Sees the Allies bombing Longvik camp and a whole load more prisoners getting out. He sees that from his sort of prison cell. Yeah. Um, but but he does get released again. And he and yep. he's sort of spirited away to a kind of um, no, he's not spirited away at that point, is he? Then he goes no, back no, to no, his, his, his flat in Dijon, yeah, um, which is quite modest, yeah. And, and eventually, the Germans decide actually the best way to do it is to get some French fascists to assassinate him, yeah, rather than having it on their own hands, and they can just say, "Well, it was a French who killed him." That yeah. seems to be the perfect solution, yeah. So, <laughs> who, who are after all part of the picture in in certainly in nineteen forty four. Um, you know, we, we can't. It, it, I mean, this is another interesting aspect of it, isn't it? There are fresh French fascists who will do this for the Germans. Yeah, and uh, um, and who will do it for the Germans in, in January nineteen forty four? Yeah, in yeah. January nineteen forty four. So you know, for all the talk of how in forty three people are starting to see that the, you know the the, do, the 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 pendulum is swinging in the Allied direction, there's still plenty of people who don't want it to. You know, uh, uh, and and well after D Day, there's people, there's people. Anyway, that, that that's a that's a uh, again, another another story. But but so, this so, is an amazing episode because oh God, because he's incredible. in the kitchen making himself some more food, uh, and Alice Cordier, who is his housekeeper, opens the doors, banging on the door, opens the door, and in springs these this youth with a with a pistol, yeah, uh, and storms it as a sort of he hears a kerfuffle. Suddenly, this youth bursts into the kitchen and fires five shots and hits him twice, yeah, but he falls on the ground. Knows he's been shot twice, but doesn't think it's very bad, yeah. and knows there's another round in the in the chamber because he's only fired five shots. Yeah. So he makes a calculation: do, should I sort of spring up as though I've been sort of resurrected, or do I kind of just sort of groan and wait for the coup de grace? So he takes for the former option, stands up, yeah. confronts the killer, 
and, and the killer is so shocked that he that his his assassin is so shocked that he he turns and flees. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that he's been carrying a bundle of of sort of magazines or papers in his about him, and yep. that stops the the worst of the bullet of one of the bullets, and so it doesn't pierce his heart, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, so he's wounded, but he's sort of you know taken away and and spirited away by the resistance, where he recuperates, yep. and he's sort of okay. I mean, yep. it's a miracle, but it's all part of the kind of mythologizing about Canon Kier. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. So they. Uh, while they're fixing him up, they realise the Gestapo are onto them, and they whisk him off and hide him, don't they? I mean, it, 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 it's the it's the and it's an extraordinary story. But it, what then happens is when 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 Dijon is liberated, yes, it, that, in September nineteen forty four, September forty four on the eleventh September nineteen forty four, he's riding he's riding tanks into Dijon. To yeah, <laughs> he's he's met the column outside the city. Yeah. So the he the lead tank comes. He stops the lead tank and says, "You know, I'm the mayor of of Dijon. I'm the most important person here. I need to get out." So he he goes on. He jumps on this this tank, clutching a Tommy gun. Yeah. And looking like a sort of something out of a Quentin Tarantino film. <laughs> and is sat there in his in his cassock and his and his beret, going into into you know in the head of the column of all these <laughs> these these North African troops. <laughs> as they liberate Dijon, I mean, it just—it's pure theatre, isn't it? It's, it's amazing, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and but of course, that then that then makes him kind of an enemy of De Gaulle, yeah. who, who doesn't want his thunder stolen by anyone local. It, 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 it's the, I think it's the most extraordinary. It's the most extraordinary story. Then he goes on to be like a a, a, a politician in Dijon. You yeah. know, the rest of his life, he's he's completely involved in um in in politics in Dijon and. You know, he's the mayor of Dijon when he dies when he's ninety-two. Yeah, it's just absolutely <laughs> incredible. He's, he's such a dude, honestly. Uh, anyway, so the, the the long of it is the 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 Kia as a drink comes from him, and the Kia Royale, of course, is is the champagne with cassis, yeah. and it is named after him. After him. So next time you're raising a glass of that, it's this in, incredible cleric. Who who called the who called the people who tried to kill him fascist fuckers for the rest of his life? <laughs> I mean, what a lad! <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just brilliant. It's amazing, isn't it? I was also very taken by the story of Abbe Pierre as well. Yeah. I have to say, yeah, um, yeah. just so, so there's this guy who's a monk. He's a rather good-looking young youth, very sort of muscular and strong, but mm. but actually a bit sickly. So he get he might be a monk. Um, uh, and he might be sort of headed for the priesthood in his early twenties, but but come the come the war, you know, he's called up, but but actually um, spends most of the time in hospital with his lung condition. Yeah. Um, and despite despite being a Catholic monk, he's also he's you know, quite a shagger. He's quite yeah, he's one for the ladies. And um, <laughs> but then but then does all these that starts working for the resistance and and what prompts it is the is the is the roundup of the Jews in Paris yeah he fixes so appalling he's so disgusted by this yeah that he then sets out to help as many um uh, Jews as possible and he, and he sort of shacks up with someone called Lucy Coutaz mm. um and it's never quite sure whether they are indeed lovers but they're certainly yeah. um, if not they have a very intense platonic relationship yeah so read into that what you will yeah, uh, and they have this um, resistance network, and again, he's been caught and then 
escapes. So this is a bizarre one where he has to flee to the Pyrenees. He sets yeah. up, he starts setting up a kind of you know a, an escape route through the Pyrenees. Gets bounced by the Gestapo, captured, but released. That he managed to escape that same day. It's all very shady, and no one seems to be able to say how he escaped, but he did. He was sort of yeah. either whether he was sprung from prison or whether he yeah. managed to just get out or whatever. But he did. But. Yeah. But then later on, after the war, um, he then sets up this this house for homeless people, doesn't he? And um, mm. this charity the, the other, that's still, still the other going one. I, all these the other one I was really taken was with Don Pietro Papagallo, who's the forger in Rome. Yeah. Um, who basically, if you need documents, he'll do them for you. Yeah. And he ends up he ends up running refugees and political prisoners and POWs and everything, yeah. and and he's just basically has a has a you know, in his flat, he's just forging relentlessly, forging Amazing. documents over and over and over again. And in the end, you know, the, the they get wind of him. Someone comes in who they think that's not quite right. Right. And him and his him. And, and again, he has a housekeeper and, you know, no one, no one knows for sure their relationship. Um, uh, you know, she said Maria Teresa supposedly died, the net dies in 1945 of a broken heart after he's, after he's, you know, after he's executed, after he's murdered, and it, it just absolutely fascinating. These people, it's these people who just go, "No, I'm not, I'm not putting up." And he's the same. He he, he thinks that this is all completely unjust. It's wrong, yeah. and I've got I've got to do something. And you know, the documents aren't particularly good either. Either that's the thing. He's just churning them out. Made his own stamps. Yeah. Bang, bang, bang. It's extraordinary. Yeah, amazing. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem that the the church, you know, clergymen can sort of get away with things that other resistors can't in the first part of the war. I mean, but but yeah. but was, you know, I'm just sort of thinking again about the the, the massacre of um, Montesoli in northern Italy, yeah. you know, just south of Bologna, in September 1944, and and you know, Casalia, one of these little mountain villages, you know, one of the first things they do is they just shoot the priest. Yeah, you know, all the people are you know hiding in the church, so the, yeah. the the priest protests, so they just shoot him. You know, and yeah. that's that. Yeah. So, so that respect for the priesthood seems to be sort of disappearing by the second half yeah, of the war. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I suppose. I mean, I, you know, people are. This is one of the things that people are so brutalized by the end of the war, aren't they? That, that, yeah. Oh well. You know. I guess so. But I also I, think I the imagine. other thing is is that the response the response by people and response by Germans to different situations is is not linear, is it? It's it's, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Someone can be executed while another person can be get away from it scot free. It just depends on the mood and the person who's in charge and the town and the circumstances and yeah. state of the war and all sorts of things. You know, they're, yeah. they're not behaving particularly rationally, are they? No. Or with any no. sense of, of kind of consistency, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there we go. I, a, a, a brief, a brief glance at priests. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things I was struck by... With, <laughs> I mean, one of the things I was struck by is is actually, you know, we started this off talking about the French Catholic Church, is really in this book, he's only got a couple of examples. Yeah, uh, yeah I know it's meant it's a Europe-wide sort of yeah. Yeah, 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 look, yeah. but, you know, that, that anyway, it's... Uh, yeah. To Felix Keir, well, I'll be raising a glass maybe later. Uh, yeah, well, let's face it. You know, we 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 know that most people, when we're not occupied, that most people keep their head down and just yep. hope it'll all go away. Yep. And yep. you can't really blame them for that, frankly. Can't really blame them for that. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, uh, on that frown moment, that note. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you all I'm very soon. Get off my fence and. 
<laughs> Get my head down. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.